Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. So, Katie, how's the uh, the Phoenix Scottsdale housing market? I know you've been our you know booming house value correspondent out there. It's uh, it's still going. It's pretty busy, and prices are. They're pretty still, you know, they're they're still really high. So, and then we got the snowbird buying season. So I know some of the realtors I'm friends with are are busy with uh, a lot of the snowbirds picking up their winter homes. So not as busy as I would like it to be, but it's definitely, you know, prices are still elevated and inventory is still pretty tight. Industry, it's still tough, but better industry in Arizona than, uh, yeah, Ohio for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> Happy Tuesday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the last week in mortgage today, our review of the week that was in the mortgage industry. Each week, I pick a different lender member of ours to be the co-host this week and back in the co-pilot seat for, God, probably the sixth or seventh time, Executive Vice President, People's Mortgage out of Arizona, Katie Klaus. Katie, great to see you. Good to see you, too. And I know you're battling some voice issues, big youth sports weekend. Uh, I, I would, you got it. You're probably an animated sports mom, I would guess. Yes. Yeah. We had a, uh, a soccer tournament, a basketball tournament and a dance competition. So oh. and yeah. you have and we, won, we won everything, which is not normal. So oh. it, it's not normal to win a lot and we won everything. So there was a lot of excitement, a lot of screaming. So like I said, I'm, I miss the good old days when I used to lose my voice at a loud bar. Now I'm just, you know, I'm not an angry sports mom though. I just want to clarify that. I'm angry, angry and passionate to <laughs> different things. So, and three, three kids, right? Two. Two. And what ages? Uh, seven and eight. Oh boy. So yeah. yeah. Goodbye to your life for the next Yeah, year. I know. Right. Tell me about it. I need a weekend from my weekend. And then uh, and next week, I'm like, I'm going to have my voice. It's going to come back. And then we're going to be at the TMC conference. And I'm going to lose. I lose it every single conference. So I'll sound like this again before, next week. The weekend before all this was the Super Bowl in Arizona week. And you had the waste management. I know you're 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 one of those people throwing beers on the green of the 16th hole every year. So I was bummed. We I went Wednesday and Thursday and the streaker came out on Friday. So we missed them. I was so upset. I'm like, I was there back to back days and our hole was the one where they, he started on 16 and they let him run all the way to 17 and then jump in the lake. That's right by where our box is. So I really missed the show. I was very sad about it, but yeah, it was super busy, Super Bowl open. It was, it was very chaotic around here. And you got Matt Ishbia owns your basketball team now. What the hell's going on? It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't really want to talk about that one. I should have put that on my list of things I don't want to talk about. Yeah, yeah it's we 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 won't we won't put you through that torture. Yeah. I like that we have Kevin Durant though. It's just I, he needs to start playing because everyone's paying more and more for tickets, thinking the next game is going to be his game, and he still hasn't gotten out there and played. So I like that move. I'll give him credit for getting him on the team, but that's about it. Very aggressive move. And yeah, yeah, KD, if he's on the court, he's as good as you get. But uh, that's kind of been the problem. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. So let's go ahead and get into it. As always, everybody knows by now, any comments, questions, jokes, thoughts, throw them in the chat of the Q&A and we'll incorporate it into the show. Katie, let's start 
FHA MIP reduction, um, you know, probably a little later than we thought, maybe not what exactly the makeup of it, but I'll just start there. Your thoughts on that? <clears throat> I think it's great. And in fact, I, we, I was on a show. I don't know if it was this one, if it was uh, with Rich, one of these a year ago, I think we talked about benefits for and against. And so I was trying to go back and and figure out how long it, it had been since we'd had that conversation. But I'm really excited. I think it's great. Um, they needed to do something, you know, and I think they reduced it. We would have liked to have seen a bigger reduction, but I know they're they're big on protecting the fund. And I think they striked a good balance between passing along a benefit to the first-time home buyers or low-income buyers and also protecting the fund so that they made sure that there's enough money in there for when they need it. Um, so we're excited between that and the, you know, the AMI LLPAs, we're seeing some good things that are really starting to benefit um, low income and first time home buyers. So we think it's a good thing. And hopefully we see some business come in and we still have affordability issues, but at least at least something to, you know, try to get people into homes or or get them qualified to buy a home. Yeah, good stuff. It was over a year ago. I remember we were, you were on co-hosting the show. We were talking about because I think yeah. it was over a year. That was when I think when the news was released that the uh, the MMI fund was at like five times the limit it had to be. And, and here we are. It took a while, but you know, I think you know, in my mind, you know, yet now now we have a president that is now he's in the re-election cycle, so probably a little bit more attention to budget and you know how you're paying for things than at the beginning when you're paying back all the people that that paid for your campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we haven't seen even in the market, you know, there's there hasn't been a lot of defaults. People are still making their mortgage payments and there's equity in their homes and the risk is not so high that, you know, I think there were more arguments for making the cut than not making the cut at this point. So I'm I'm super glad that they did. It it was kind of funny, though. I We had been talking about it to your point for so long that when it actually happened, Mm-hmm. It, I was kind of taken back, like, oh, wait, this is this actually happened. It. <laughs> it's actually going into effect. Like, that's awesome. Now people are, you know, kind of scrambling to figure out how, you know, procedurally how we're going to how we're going to make sure that that's ready to go. Um, March 20th, I think, is when, when loans closing. So we're excited. We're hoping it brings in some business. Good stuff. Um, can, can you ever remember a time in, in, in your career in the industry where like one or 2% in interest rate would have a bigger impact on the purchase market than right now. No, it's been I mean, crazy. It's huge, right? It's, I mean, like, it's so, like, honestly, if we were to get one and a half percent reduction, we, we saw it in Jan, right? I mean, yeah. start to bleed down. And I mean, apps were up big time and then reversed in Feb and we kind of got the opposite, but it's just a weird dynamic what's going on. And it's so rate sensitive right now. It really is. And it's, it's, it is a little crazy, like how long it feels like it's gone. I think just because it was so busy and it took such a, you know, quick slowdown. And so to your point, like we had an uptick last month um, when rates dropped and then rates went up all of a sudden. And now it's like everyone's screeching the brakes again. So it's interesting to see how rate sensitive everyone is. Um and how it makes such a big difference and people getting nervous about getting into the market and kind of waiting. It also creates a lot of uncertainty because our borrowers keep thinking that the rates are going to go down. So everybody is still waiting. And when you see these small dips happen, people hold out longer because they're you know thinking that they're going to dip. And at some point, you just got to get into the market if you want to get into the market. So get so in, get your house and try to you know refi as soon as rates do come down. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, with a house, I mean, a percent, like it shouldn't be right. Like, I mean, if, if, if the house is the right one for you, then, you know, in, you know, on the margins, if you can't afford it without it, then it's a different story, but uh, it is interesting. Now you noted uh, earlier, delinquencies are about at all time, low levels in the industry. People have gobs of equity in their houses. Employment is robust. People are working and making money. The biggest predictor of just mortgage payments. Um, and, and there is a demand for housing and there's just so many people on the sideline right now. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to see it in Arizona even more than I'm seeing it here in Ohio. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, since I'm from Ohio, I know I always like to look and see kind of where you guys are at to try to convince my husband to move back, which he'll never do in a million years, but we always think about it. And there's not a lot of inventory, at least in the Columbus area for, you know, the homes that we were looking at, the inventory there is low. It's low, you know, by me and the prices are still incredibly elevated. And it is crazy what 1% of a rate can do to people's payment. Um, So I understand why people are hesitant about getting into the market, but you know, I don't think that the prices are going to come down. There's just not enough inventory. It's the same story. I'm sure you've talked about week in and week out. There's just not enough inventory where those those home prices are going to fall. Um, so as rates come down, who knows what's going to happen to the sales prices that, you know, at that point. So Mike a- Cole, MGIC, we see you in the chat. Go Bucks. <laughs> transplanted Buckeye, but it's still a Buckeye. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a great article I just read this morning. It's from National Mortgage News penned it this morning. It's called No Easy Way Out of the Structural Housing Shortage. And it really is worth the read. I mean, if you look at this and Katie, you and I have been talking about on this show for like, you know, I think I predicted it like around this point, it's going to really start to cause some problems because nothing, 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 nothing is being done to help more affordable single family homes get built the homes that fall off the earth every year that are demolished they're knocked down to be built for something else they're the smaller homes most typically mm-hmm. this is just a problem that is kind of compounding itself and uh yeah i don't you know we've talked about this but uh your thoughts well something that's interesting too is the, I, the shipping containers you know there's been all kinds of things we've talked about over the last few years, manufactured houses, tiny houses, like now they're talking about there's our governor, I think went to something where they were talking about making homes out of shipping containers, but the price point on one of those homes was still in my mind, astronomical for what you're going to spend. Like if, if I'm going to spend that, I don't want to spend it on a shipping container that's basically been made into a home. So it's just one of those things where I don't know if people have to change their viewpoints on what their affordability will get them. But it is crazy. Some of these things that people are looking at doing and the price point still on those types of homes. Um, And then one of the things that you had sent is like the apartments and the rents coming down. So I was wondering this morning, I was thinking about it, like we have so many, I don't know about, you know, throughout the country, but here in Phoenix, specifically in Scottsdale, I mean, there's a whole street up and down that is all apart luxury apartment buildings going up. It is crazy how many all of them the people are. People used to live in Cleveland and uh, Pittsburgh. And, <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. All the people that are moving here. I'm going to Phoenix and getting an apartment because I cannot take 
my 50th Cleveland winter in a row. Well, you should. Well, actually, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. So people are freaking out around here. But um, it's just one of those things where how many people want apartments? And at what point do those possibly turn into condos or something? Like, can we turn those into a multifamily unit where people can have the, you know, they can own instead of renting? Like, why do they all have to be luxury apartments? Um so I was just wondering, like, at what point, if rents are going to go down and they don't see the 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 benefit of keeping an apartment, would they be able to turn those into actual places people could start building equity in? I think that's a. I, I think that's some pretty good foresight. I think you, you're going to see that happen. Just as you know, you get another couple of years down the road, and the demand maybe for luxury apartments is less, and the the need of just hey, I freaking need somewhere to live because I'm fleeing the Midwest uh, is more. <laughs> And uh, I think you could totally, it's going to be something because, you know, it takes a year to, you know, nine, whatever, with the start of the process, eight, nine months to build a home, zero is being done or being talked about. So forget about anything for a year and a half, mm-hmm. most likely two years. Think about how bad the problem is going to be there. So you're going to start to see, in my opinion, things like that, right? They're going to have to, if it's the manufactured or the, you know, or uh, shipping container homes or, um, you know, we've seen like the, the homes that the cranes drop in that are like the, the, the modular. Yeah. Uh, seen those before. It's going to be fascinating to see how this all evolves because I think there's a huge underlying demand for people that want new housing. Yeah. There's got to be an incentive too to build more affordable homes. Like, Every developer, and even even in the apartments, they're all luxury. They all have like bells and whistles and fancy things. And so, I just out of curiosity was looking it up since I haven't, you know, been in the market for an apartment building. But I had, um, let's see, fifteen hundred matches for a two bedroom apartment in Scottsdale between eighteen hundred dollars and fifty one hundred dollars a month. Oh my lord! Wow. So it's like that's not affordable for the average, you know, person. Yeah, that's crazy. So you're paying three G's, three four G's, essentially a month for just a regular size two bedroom in Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's even just not feasible for an average person to afford that. So there needs to be more of a focus on how you can build something, even if it's apartments, that's more affordable for people than that. My first apartment, I want to say it was like two ninety five a month or something. Three ninety. It wasn't maybe in the greatest neighborhood. I was just, <laughs> but uh, long way from three four thousand. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I we paid like, I think it was like nine hundred for a three bedroom. I I feel like my parents when I say these kinds of comments back in 05. and it had a pool, and that was all it had. I didn't need you know a community house and a workout facility and a pickleball court and an equestrian center and a bar and whatever else they put in these things. Like, can we just build homes is kind of how I feel or somewhere for people to live. What's the shipping container bar in Austin on Rainy Street? If anybody knows the name of that bar, throw it in the chat. <laughs> I love that place. I, it's very cool. It's like two shipping containers stacked on each other. But It's uh, amazing what they can do with those things. It is really is It cool. really is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a surplus of them. They're very sturdy. They resist weather. Um, the, I think there's something there. Honestly, I if, I, I think if we're coasting the show again a couple of years from now, we're going to be talking about this. Is something that's there's going to be like a GSC product for it, maybe. Yeah, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Same container bar. Thank you, Angie. Duh. <laughs> I was going to say that's kind of self-explanatory. Duh. You should have thought of that one. <laughs> 
Count on Angie Scarfino for bar trivia, uh, TMC member engagement team member extraordinaire. Um, this is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by the executive vice president of People's Mortgage Company, Katie Klaus. Katie, um, the Black Knight ICE mega merger um, of of top two software systems in the industry. There's been some murmurs that it's been getting you know some FTC attention um and then uh there was a pap- a piece written yesterday actually that that seemed to intimate that there was some knowledge that this was not likely to go through in its current form we saw another piece that was more of a leak piece like a week or so ago um you know basically saying black knights looking to sell empower separate maybe to preserve um the ice deal uh your thoughts on this potential mega merger um, I mean, I don't love mega mergers in general. I like choices. You know, if you people have choices and monopolies and stuff drive up prices. The other problem that I see is a lot of times uh, when they merge, you lose what their core, you know, principle is like they're good at one thing. And then as they merge into lots of other things, they just get worse at at what their product is as opposed to specializing in one thing. So I'm not huge on any kind of huge merger like that. That really affects um, kind of multi areas of the industry. Um, I think it's good to collaborate and work with each other, but I don't like when one company would own kind of everything. It doesn't give enough options. And sometimes some of the smaller players don't get as much say when there's only one person doing everything. Like you even see it now with Encompass. If you want to customize it, you have to do everything yourself because all the changes that are made are done with, you know, everything has to be done kind of so that it universally fits. And that's not how everybody operates. The second you buy that system, they're like, Who, who's this? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. People's mortgage. Oh, yeah. oh you bought our system two days ago. Yeah. Yes. How, how much do you close? <laughs> no, we're going to put that on our roadmap for you. Well, I know, you know, members keeping an eye on this story, obviously, there were a bunch that were looking at going from Encompass maybe to Empower. And and then, you know, you hear about a merger, you know, most members are are at that point kind of maybe putting the brakes on that. So to your point, I think, you know, our members in whole, I mean, what we're hearing from them is we'd love to see the two systems stay separate and compete against together, right? Because that's what's best for us as a a buyer and ultimately our consumers. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Oh, you t- we talked uh, a little bit about the um, apartment rents, but, uh, you know, crush of new apartment supply rent hitting the market, um, driving some rent prices down. This is a reversal from the trend that we've seen there um, and could help affordability and housing in general. I know, but to your, your broader point, um, you hit on earlier, it's like at the end of the day, you need a certain core level of affordable single family homes in America. And, uh, you know, it feels like that is under some strain potentially. Yeah. And it also feels a lot like when the, when inventory was opening up and, you know, people were talking about houses coming back on the market and, you know, a flood of houses hit the market. Oh, so we went from two to four, you know, like look at the statistics and look at increase in 30 years. Yeah. So apartment rents have gone down. I I don't know what the statistic was like 5% or whatever, but now instead of paying 1979 i think it was 1942 that's still a lot for a monthly rental payment so i think you still have the problem i think i mean it's good don't get me wrong things are trending in the right direction 
but it's just the affordability is still not there anywhere. Um, and I think it might get better because I know like in Phoenix alone, we're supposed to have 47,000 units coming on the market. So that's a substantial amount of units that are coming on. So we'll see what it does, but I just don't know how much, even if you have that surplus, how much are rents actually going to come down to make it affordable for people? You know, it's like out there, you could build all year round. Like yeah. you build now, you know, I mean, you can maybe move some things forward, but just another challenge. I think that the places with the most affordable housing, you know, in the Midwest, typically it's, it's just going to be the builders. They'd rather be in Arizona to begin with. It's bigger houses and more demand, right? And it's uh, Ohio smaller and less. And so I hope that doesn't exasperate the affordability issue in places where, you know, you have a lot of, you know, kind of middle-class people. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is some of, you know, cities like us where you already are short on housing supply and or apartments for rent. And then, you know, they're opening up like the microchip plant. Well, that's going to employ, you know, thousands of people. They're all going to come in from, you know, other places. You need a place to put them. So as the city grows, even though we have surplus coming onto the market, you also have all of these um, employment, you know, opportunities and economic opportunities that are bringing people here. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, good business climate out there. Companies are relocating to states like Arizona. And yeah, all it does is stoke, right? Housing demand, because you move the headquarters to ABC company out there, you're bringing people and their families and they need shelter. Mm-hmm. This is the last week in mortgage today. I got about seven, eight minutes left this week with People's Mortgage Executive Vice President Katie Klaus. Katie, a couple acquisitions in the news this week. A mutual of Omaha Mortgage acquired Keller Williams Keller Mortgage. I thought that was newsworthy in that the realtor owned mortgage company. I, it was like the big, you know, six, seven years ago, they all started on different models. And, and then, you know, here we are later, like even after the two greatest years ever. Uh, for the mortgage industry, it, it just seems like the realtor-owned mortgage company, it just doesn't work. Well, and it's been oh, further complicated by FHA loosening their, you know, allowance on dual compensation. So now we have a lot more of where we were saying, you know, you can't be a real estate agent and a and a loan officer. Now you can. So there's a lot of people who are getting, trying to do both. And it's the people who do both, sometimes aren't successful at it because you're not, you know, you're not proficient in either one of those. So if you're really good at one thing, normally you don't have to do something else on the side. So yeah, it's, it's complicates things and makes it kind of messy um, when people are trying to do the real estate side of things and the, uh, and the broker and or loan officer side of things. But it's something we've all talked about and we all look at. Is is that is that is that something you're starting to see with happen with regularity in in Arizona? Um, the discussions about doing both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We it was big then, you know, with the boom and volume, nobody really needed right. it, and now it's right. coming back. Or people. That doesn't surprise. It. it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, yeah. if you're a realtor or a loan originator, I mean, you know, you could. Probably, if you're good at one, you could probably do the other with mild training. Technology makes it easier for people now. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's probably a trend we're going to see continue. 
Yeah, I assume so. I like professionals though, so I want like a really good real estate agent and a really good loan officer. Yeah, I mean that's not what those of us in the industry that run companies want. Um, certainly for all the obvious reasons, but that's probably, it's like your shipping container. I, I think you're, I think you're making some very uh, prophetic uh, predictions <laughs> on this show today that we're going to have, we're going to be unearthing the tape of a year from now. And, uh, I think people are just trying to do whatever they can to bring in business. I'll be a real estate agent or income. I'll be a real estate agent. I'll be your loan officer. And then I'll I'm going to go, do all your, of it. And then I'm going to go deliver your Chipotle to your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll offer you a non-QM buy down construction, loan product, reverse mortgage, any of it. Honestly, I, I mean, I've been talking with Chrisman about this, but the whole like the the whole people will not stop spending money in America thing. I, I really believe that is a it's a buy it's a side kind of like a side hustle byproduct. Like people are just it's easier for people to earn money in different ways that isn't as reportable as the you know the classic you know uh, payroll or uh, payrolls and jobs reporting system in America. Yeah, for sure. I would like people to stop spending money too. I've been saying that for a while. <laughs> and we had uh, CoreLogic acquired Roostify, um, one of the bigger point of sale providers. Some murmurs that they could be potentially a takeout uh, for an empower, it, uh, which seemed to make sense. Uh, any thoughts on any of that madness? Um, I think it's interesting. It, it uh, explains why... I, my customer service at one of those companies hasn't been so good the last few weeks, but I mean, I love CoreLogic. They have uh, a lot of good data. Um, if they wanted to get into a, you know the space, I can see why they would have joined with Roostify. It just brings me back to the the point of like people do good things, and is this going to be beneficial for people, or are they going to? leave their core business to focus on something else. And then their core business, you know, suffers as a result of it. So I'm also curious to know what they're going to do that, you know, they're saying they're going to make it a better overall process for the borrower. And I'm wondering what core lot, like how core logic fits into that point of sale kind of software that they think is going to be so revolutionary. So I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what they come up with through the the acquisition. You kind of see this, like it was a slow year last year. And then we got a little like glimmer of hope. And then the, you know, and, and, and at least in my history, like those cycles in the mortgage industry, you see a lot of M&A follow. Like certainly we've had a lot the last year and a half or so, but you know, it was the first thing that came to my mind when you saw some of the some of the news on on M and A deals that that came up this week. You know, maybe the people are like, "Hey, you know, see how Q one goes." Like, you know, it's maybe that they're on the fence if they want to, you know, throw in the towel or sell or whatever. And 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 then you get a little bit better start to the and then it's like the deflating effect of ah, oh, we had the you know, it was looking good and then you know, it kind of fell off. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been not going so well for for a while now. So if people are you, I mean, as a leader, you know, it, it like, I mean, just managing people, and you know, I mean, obviously, any words for the wise and on just you know, like the first couple months of this year and things you've had to lean on or or things that you've employed that have been successful with the culture you guys have at People's. I mean, I think one of the problems that we have is that people like to be busy and they like to have things to do. And it's always amazing to me 
when you slow down how people make more mistakes because they're not focused. So just really getting people to focus on um, the tasks at hand. I mean, we have been doing what I'm sure a lot of people are doing, which is looking at who our vendors are, what our products are, are they beneficial? Are there ways that we can do it better with somebody different? How do we cut costs? Um, also looking at automation, is the automation what it says it is? Um, is there an ROI if we switch to this? Um, so it's it's been tough. I was trying to, because I went through, you know, I was here through the crash. And so we got real small and and shrunk and then and then grew. And for some reason, it didn't feel like it feels now. I think it's because we were so busy and then we went to being so slow. But it is, um, it's nice to see like the little upticks that happened in January because it reminds you like the business is coming. People who don't want to be in the business are starting to get out of it, leaving, you know, people who have been professionals. Our loan officers who have had good relationships and, and a lot of purchase business, they really haven't seen a hit in the business. It's still coming in, maybe not at the levels that it has, but, you know, they're still closing decent volume every month. Um, so just kind of riding the wave to get through it and keeping everybody's spirits up. And then, yeah, you know, we had more people come into the office and we're pretty goofy. So we've had a lot of time to have a lot of fun around here. So Klaus, uh, we did a, we did a very famous about a year ago at our conference, a debate on the merit. We had, we had three candidates. I was the moderator. We did it like a presidential debate. Katie, uh, defended work from the office. We had, Jody Hall defended the hybrid and we had Craig Ungaro from Annie Mac defended work from home. It was, I still get a lot of nice comments about that session. It was yeah, that of, session was a lot of fun. That was a lot Same of fun. shenanigans happening over here, guys. So, although I broke someone's drone because they were flying it in front of my office and they were doing like a drone race and the thing was really loud. So I just took a ball and threw it at it and I actually hit it, knocked <laughs> it out of the sky. It was a lot of drama. Oh, <laughs> uh, too funny. And looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, for sure. TMC San Diego. Looking forward to catching up in person and uh maybe an adult beverage in the mix at some point uh, over those four days. Or 10. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, Katie, thank you as always for always answering the bell. Really appreciate uh, your membership and uh, always uh, agreeing to participate in, in this show and, and other sessions. Greatly appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. We'll see you soon. And to our attendees, thanks as always for joining us. We're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern with the last week in mortgage today. Uh, So until next Tuesday, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Take care. Bye, Katie. Bye. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.